Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Acts chapter 9, from Saul to Paul. Who is Paul? Who is Saul? That's the same man, one and the same. This is a man that was um, persecuted the church. He wanted to do anything and everything that he could do to get rid of the church and the people that were teaching Jesus Christ and the people that were following the disciples. He was doing his best that he that he could do to get rid of this church. And this here, what we see here is the story witnessed by a Gentile written by Luke of the encounter that he had with Christ, the encounter that he had with with Christ. And the three things that I looked at is that one, there's a call that comes from the Lord. Two is the answer that comes from us. And three is the change, submission. Those are the three things that we're going to look at this morning. So with that, let's jump right in. Let's jump right in. Picking it up in verse one, it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Again, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The first two words that you see is then Saul. The last time that we saw Saul was in Acts chapter 8 where it says that he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. This was his mission. This is what he was doing. This is what he was known for. Here he continued to expand this work to the city of Damascus. So he's trying to do more work, put in more work, if you will, from where he was at. Now he's going to Damascus to do the same thing, which is about 130 miles from, from, um, from Jerusalem, about a six-day journey. Now, this dude is on a mission because today we can jump in a car or whatever we got to do to get there pretty fast. This time it takes a little longer, but he doesn't care. He's on a mission. He wants to go and wreak havoc to the church, enter every house, and drag off every man and woman committing, and committing them to prison. Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. This is a picture of an angry man, violent, absolutely convinced of his own righteousness. So his mission, when the disciples hear about him or the believers hear about him, they, they can see this man that's wreaking havoc, that wants to cause pain, suffering, and persecution to each of them. This is the picture that we get. The reality of it, he's smaller. I mean, there's, there's uh, what do they call it, uh, apostolic books, I believe that's how, it's, uh, that's how you pronounce it, that give a description of him, which is small, big nose, blind, little guy. But it's crazy because this little guy was, re- was making so much havoc, doing so many things, so much persecution to the church that when they would hear him, they would tremble. You imagine a man six foot seven, 350 pounds is afraid of this little guy, but it's what he can do and what he was, what he's been doing. Now, uh, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. The picture is uh, again of an angry man. Saul hated the disciples of the Lord. He wasn't seeking Jesus when Jesus, even though Jesus was still seeking Paul, 
he wasn't seeking Christ. We might say that Saul was decided against Jesus and Jesus was still seeking Paul or Saul, should I say. Real quick, I mean, looking at it, as many times as in our beginning of our walks and as many times as we see how much we um, we fight this or we don't continue or we don't seek the Lord, we, we try to do our own or we don't want to serve in the Lord. We say it costs too much or whatever price is too high. I want to continue in this life. I want to continue doing what I think is right. I want to continue in the life that I'm living. And yet the word tells us that Christ will leave the 99 for each and every one of us. Paul's no different. Paul's no different. And knowing who Paul, who Saul is and what he was doing, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of encouragement on this later. Um, again, that Jesus, that Saul had decided against Christ. Of course, we don't know what Saul really looked like, but again, that quick description of him. Um, what did he do? He went to the high priest. Saul did his persecuting work under the direct approval of the highest religious authorities. Everything that he was doing was with authority. He asked and received letters from the high priest authorizing the mission. Paul went and asked for these letters, for this approval, for him to be able to go to Damascus to do this deed that he wanted to do. The high priest mentioned here was Caiaphas. Caiaphas was... Uh, again, he's just, he's the high priest. I mean, there's little things that, that we can learn about him or whatever, but we just know that he's the high priest and that he's the one, one of the ones that gave the approval for Paul to go and persecute um, the believers in Damascus. Still breathing threats and murder. Even after Saul became a Christian, even Saul on his own account, he remembers his days as the persecutor. And with scripture, this is what his own account is. In Philippians 3, he said, circumcised the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. This is his own account of himself. I am from that law. I am from those Hebrews. I am that that is fighting against you. I come from that. I know the word of God. I know the Old Testament. I know the the prophets' letters. I know the first five by memory. I know the word of God. I know God. That's who he was. In Galatians 1:13, Paul added more regarding his background. For you have heard of many of for you have heard of my former conduct, my former conduct in Jerusalem, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Saul of Tarsus, a highly educated man, thought that Christianity was both wrong and deceptive. He didn't like it. He was against it. He was not for Christ. He was for the law, for self-righteousness. That's who he was. As the scripture says, if he found any, after wanting the approval for these letters, so if he found any who were of the way. Here I like that Christianity is referred to as the way. Because we have many ways in life. There's many ways by choice that are taken. Many ways of of thought processes. Many ways of, of routes to get to certain destination. But there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to make it to 
eternal salvation, and that's through Christ. Here, where Christians are referred to as the way, a change of life. That's what it is. That's what it means. And I like that it's referred that way as the way. The way that I live, the way that you live, the way that we live. It's a, it's truly, truly a change of life. In Acts 9, 3 through 6, here Paul is on the road to Damascus. Let's pick it up. As he, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said, arise, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Suddenly a light shone around him from heaven and heard a voice. We don't know exactly where it is. We just know it was outside of Damascus that it happened. But it says suddenly this happened. This spectacular event was regarded as unusual. Why? Because God doesn't normally confront sinners with a heavenly, heavenly light, an audible voice. That's not how it's normally done. But this is how it was, it was done because I believe the importance of, of this man's life and what God was going to use him for to help guide us, to help change us, to help the, the scriptures that were, that are breathed and inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was a big deal. But it was also a big deal in the man's heart that didn't want nothing to do with it. Didn't want nothing to do with Christ. Didn't want to see the word. Didn't want to, uh, live by the gospel. Wanted to live by law, by law in his own righteousness. In Acts 22, 6, Paul revealed that this happened at midday. And at midday, we know what? It's the hottest part of the day. Those of us that work outside, we're trying to find... The other day at work, I seen a guy underneath a... It's a rack that we have where there's woods there. Wood, old wood. I mean, he got under there. He was there for a minute. He was like, it's hot. In the middle of the sun. So we know at midday, it's hot. And the sun is the brightest when there's no clouds. But Paul goes on to say that the light was brighter than the sun. Then he fell to the ground. Saul's reaction was simple. Fell to the ground. I mean, I don't think that it was because out of reverence or or out of worship. As a matter of fact, I I believe 100% that it was out of fear. He feared it. He saw the light, miraculous light, a speaking to him that something shook him. I mean, shook him. Shook the man that was shaking the world, that was shaking the Jerusalem, that wanted to go and shake Damascus, that he was shaking the disciples, the believers that were of the way. And then he got shook. As the scripture goes on to say, and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was confronted of his crime. He persecuted God, not man. I mean, and that should be something that we have to realize at times when we're being persecuted, when we're being, when we're being what we feel is persecution. It's not because of us. It's because of Christ. Not that it's a bad thing, but, but because we live of the way and we serve Christ and we seek our Lord and this is the life that we live, that through temptation from the enemy, we are going to be persecuted. We are going to be treated this way. These things we're going to have to endure. 
But it's not because of, of what we do. It's because we follow Christ. It's because, of, it's because we follow Christ. A choice that we make. An answer that we give. It says, I am Jesus. Jesus was a commonly name, uh, a fairly common name then. But I like this though. When it, when it reads, when he said, I am Jesus, Saul knew exactly what Jesus spoke, whom it was. I, I would think that it's safe to say he probably heard Jesus teaching in Jerusalem. Um, he could have actually been part of, of the Sanhedrin that sat there that was persecuting Christ. I mean, this is where he was from. This is what he did. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews. And unless, you know, Saul was hallucinating, you know, the appearance of Jesus was was alive and Jesus was God. He came to the realization. He saw it in this encounter. He saw it firsthand. And what does he say? Who are you, Lord? I feel like we should ask this question with a humble heart at times when necessary and ask it to God. Jesus showed exactly who God is. Death, resurrection, the life that he lived, blameless, sinless, a life that we couldn't accomplish. He showed who God is. And asking this question, you know, I like that Paul spends the rest of his life getting the answer to this question, continually seeking the Lord, continually growing, continually, continually bringing that witness for Christ. In every place that he went, that the Lord was putting on him to go to, to go and spread the gospel, to reach the people that he needed to reach, he continually did this. What do you want me to do was the second question he asked. You know, few of us dare to ask that question of the Lord because at times we're afraid of what, it might, what the answer might be. We look at the situation and we say, I, don't, I, don't, um, I got this one, Lord. I'm going to give you a break. There's a lot of other people that you got to tend to right now. I got this one. But that's not, that's not how we should look at it. That's not how we need to look at it. We should look at it as, what do you want me to do? But we, when we ask that question, we have to ask it with submission. We have to ask it with uh, determined obedience and not fear the answer. Later on, we'll get to see someone who asked that question then feared the answer. But it was, a, it was a good thing because God knows what he's doing, his intentions, his plan. He knows what it is. He knows what he has for you. Saul's question was personal. He asked the question, you know, including himself, me. Lord, what do you want me to do? He didn't say, what do you want pastor to do? He didn't say, what do you want the deacon to do? He didn't, what do you want me to do? We are often interested in what God wants other people to do, and we're not so worried about what we should be doing. You know, we can look at other people and say, ah, I think you should do this, I think you should do that. What should we do, though? What should we be doing? Or moreover, when we see situations or we see things that are going on in the church, and we're like, you know what, I think this, this, I think this, this, but then I'll see you later, and I'm out. Well, I think this, I think this, let me be the first to try to start it. You know, there's a, a, a submission into what the Lord wants and what he has. So those two questions, I, I want to, again, stress the point to say that we need to ask those regularly in our regular lives, daily. Lord, who are you? And Lord, what, do you, what would you have me do? And then the Lord goes on to say, 
it's hard for you to kick against the goats. This statement was from Jesus. It was actually a small parable regarding Saul and his life. A goad. This is what a goad is for those that don't know. It's a long, extremely sharp stick used to get an ox going the way you want it when plowing. One jab on the hind legs of the ox with the goad until the ox cooperated. This is Christ telling Paul, telling Saul, it's hard to kick against the goads. What is the picture that you see? A man sticking the, the, the ox? Make him go left, stick him right. Make him go right, stick him left. It's hard to go against that. I believe the man that, that Saul was, it was perfect fitting for him because he kicked that hard against it. But God here shows that he had a plan already, regardless of the things that Saul was doing in his life when he was in control of it, or when he thought he was in control of it, living the life that he wanted, persecuting who he was persecuting, hating who he was hating, enslaving who he was enslaving. God still was there. He had a a call. He had a purpose for Saul. Looking at it, you know, through a lot of studying, a lot of theologians believe that, you know, the goading was his conscience. You know, despite of all the outward confidence, there was something bothering him inside. I can relate. An uneasy may have started when Stephen's prayer and Acts chapter 7, 57 through 60. A lot of people study and look at it. They think that that's where it probably started in his heart, you know, because he was their witness. He was holding the coats to the men that were stoning Stephen. And at the end of that, sto- that stoning, Stephen says, don't hold these men to account of their sin because they don't know what they're doing. A man that's about to die being stoned, if somebody throws a rock at me and I'm about to lie, I don't know if I can say, Lord, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. It would be hard. I say that now, but being spirit-filled, I believe, 100%, with no doubt, we would. We would. And I believe that that witness, more than anything else that Stephen did in his life, that touched, that was the beginning of, of the Lord touching Saul's heart. So he, trembling and astonished, the fact that Saul was trembling and astonished by all of All of this reminds us that it's not always pleasant to encounter that heavenly dramatic scene. You know, there was a one time uh, we went to a men's conference, me and the pastor did, and we were there. And, you know, man and their flawlessness, they're like, I think that I'm going to, if this star lines up, this thing lines up. You heard the pastor say before, this lines up, this will be close to the Lord coming back today. He's going to come back. You know, in my heart, I rejoice and I'm ready. I'm sure as we all are. We know our salvation. We know the end of the line. We know what happens, you know, after Christ comes. We know after we're raptured what happens. But still that night when I laid down, I was scared. And I couldn't understand why I was scared. Then you read this and then you say, oh, that's that heavenly light. That's that heavenly power that us in our small minds and this carnal bodies that we can't comprehend, that we can't understand. I laid there and I said, Lord, I know that your disciples were scared when you showed yourself to them. I know that Saul was freaking out when you saw the light. But remove this from me because I, re- I want to rejoice. Then you wake up the next morning and I'm mad because he didn't come. I'm like, Lord, I tell the pastor, did you get any sleep? But, you know, we, because, we, you know, to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
There's reason. But moving on. So he, trembling and astonished, trembling and astonished. In Acts 9, we were only given the briefest account of what happened here. We know more from Paul saying about the experience in Acts 22, 3 through 11, Acts chapter 26, 12 and 18, 1 Corinthians 9, 15 and 18. We know more about what Barnabas says about Saul's experience in Acts 9, 27. And we know what Ananias is going to tell us about uh, Paul's experience in 9, 17. But we learn from these, all, all these accounts that Jesus appeared to Saul personally in, the, in this building vision. In response to the light, Saul undoubtedly shut his eyes as tight as he could. I would imagine if the light was that bright, you know, you automatically can close your eyes. I was at work uh, Friday, Thursday. A guy got a piece of wood stuck in his eye and I was trying to wash it. I'm trying to help him. And he keeps his eye closed. I'm like, open it, bro. You got to open it so I can spray it. He keeps it closed. Can you imagine being blinded by a light that's coming from our King, our God, our Savior? The blinding light of it. So you know you squeeze your eyes closed. In this encounter with Jesus, Saul learned the gospel. That he would preach his whole life. He insisted in Galatians 1, 11 through 12. That the gospel which was preached by me is not me, is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, that question, Lord, what do you want me to do? Again, everything that we have, everything that we hear, everything that we learn, we know that the Lord has vessels. He has teachers. He has people that, that he is called to teach the word of God and to give the gospel to these people. But it all comes from Christ. It's from the Holy Spirit. And when you know that it's wrong, you know that it's wrong in your heart. A spirit filled. Everything that we receive is not from man. It's from Christ. It's from the Lord. It's from the word of God. And if you're receiving anything different, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> you know, that's not good. That's the reason we keep the word of God in our heart. We know we hear blasphemous things or false doctrines. Even now, what we're teaching now is from the Word of God and is from our King. It has nothing to do with me. I'm just privileged to be able to, to be up here and tell you about it. Lord, what do you want me to do? When Saul asked the question, Jesus only told him what to do in that moment. He didn't tell him what he was going to do five years down the road. He didn't tell him what was going to happen ten years down the road. He didn't tell him what was going to happen next week. He only told him what was happening in that moment. I believe this is something that the Lord does for us, for our safety, I believe, for us, for our comfort, that he don't give us the full plan of everything, of everything. I don't think that we can handle it. I think it would be overwhelming for us. And so we look at him now and we listen to this moment by moment life that we're living and we just understand and we obey what it is he's telling us right now. Because he tells me to do something right now and then tomorrow is going to be something different. I'm like, I don't know. Today I love him today. Regardless of what he did, I love him today. Lord, forgive me. Whatever it is, moments by moments. Acts 9, 7 through 9. When the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one, then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led, they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drink. Drank. The men who journeyed with him stood speechless. The experience was incomprehensible. You can see it. There's witnesses there that saw it as well. They don't even, how are they going to, they couldn't comprehend it. 
you know. Uh, but Saul opened his eyes again, thinking that he I'm assuming that they were shut because he was scared, terrified. The Lord shook him. And he still couldn't see. And when his eyes were open, he saw no one. Spiritually, looking at this spiritually, when we say our eyes are blinded, we're blinded, or our eyes are shut, we can't see nothing. Spiritually, what do we see? Or carnally, what do we see? And which one are we looking through? I'd be the first to tell you that at times I look at things in the carnal perspective, and it's not always good what I see. But with prayer, you know, prayer and seeking the Lord, the spiritual sight is when you see, when you, you know, Lord, give me your eyes to see how you see. It's completely different. It's a completely softening of the heart. It's, it's a thought process that changes over times 10 versus the carnal sight that we see. Remember, Paul's mission on the way over here was that of a carnal. That's how he was seeing the road and the way he was going. But now spiritually, it's different now. It's changed now. And he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. I think he was shaken by the experience. I think he was unable to eat or drink for three days. Saul could simply sit there in blind silence. This was a humbling experience in that time when Saul was um, being challenged in his previous ideas about who God was and what pleased God. I think he was coming to the realization of what pleased God and who he was. Now God ministered to Saul through Ananias. In Acts 10, picking it up in 10 to 12. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in the vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Again, here goes a call, here goes an answer, here goes a submission. But this was a little different. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. We don't know much about Ananias. We know about this account, though. And a very, very important account. I mean, he didn't have to be all over the, the, the Word of God, but this one part was important. It was, it was foundational. It was good. And I believe when I see Ananias, when I make it to heaven, I'll be like, right on, bro. That's the way to submit and to listen. Thank you. But we don't know much about him. Uh, Ananias was just an ordinary man. We can say that because there's not so many stories about him. Not an apostle, not a prophet, a pastor, an evangelist, an elder, a deacon. Yet God used him because he was an ordinary man. That's the reason that I'm here now. That's the reason we are where we are. If an apostle or a prominent person had ministered to Saul, how many people would say it was because of that person that the Lord was using? How much of the glory would have been taken away from our God? But he used an ordinary man. A man like you, a man like me, a man like you, a woman like you, ordinary people. Being simple, simply a certain disciple. That's how he's referred to. We can say that God simply used Ananias because God loves to use people. I would say amen. 
And Ananias was a willing servant. I would say amen times 10. Because that's the important key. A willing servant. Ananias asked Saul's question. Lord, what do you want me to do? His response was the same as Saul's. In Acts 9.6, by the way he lived his life. To him the Lord said in a vision, God spoke to Ananias in a completely different way than he spoke to Saul. Saul had a bold, almost violent con- confrontation from God, but Ananias was a soft, sweet, you know, godly vision that he was given. His communication to him were, were different because these were two different men. One was trying to persecute him and the other was serving him. But there was still a call and there was still an answer. There was still a submission. To him the Lord said in a vision, uh, here I am, I'm sorry, picking up where it says, here I am, Ananias' response is a perfect response. You know, at times we shouldn't be surprised if, if people like Saul, you know, um, receive God's word with resistance. Because of the life that he lived, the way he grew up, the things that he knows, the things that he was taught. They're not all like me. They're not all like you. They're different. People are different. All walks of life are different. But the one thing that we all have in common is the need, the crucial need for Christ and the gospel. Yet we should expect disciples of Jesus to receive God's word like Ananias. We should receive it that way. When we feel it and we hear it and we see it. Our response should be that of a humbling, here I am, Lord. What would you have me do? In this case, it was specific. Told him specifically what to do. That's that's good. That's great, right? When it's specifically no guessing, then we ruin it. And we have to guess and think, I think this is what you want me to do. This was necessary and important. Because God has asked Ananias to do something bold and dangerous in meeting Saul, the great persecutor. It says, arise and go. God's instruction to Ananias. We're clear. What do you think? Well, you see Ananias' response. And then God continued to tell him, arise and go. Behold, he is praying. Then Ananias answered, verse 13. Lord, I've heard from many people about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority. He has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer my name's sake. Looking at the words that say, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. Ananias knew Many of them knew who Saul was. Saul, the great persecutor, the, the, the killer of Christians, the killer of disciples, the killer of the church, the man who wanted to enslave and imprison those who were of the way. I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done. The object was, the, the objection, can you blame him? Can you blame Ananias for saying, Lord, oh, well, it, do you know what kind of guy this is? I'm sure that was his thought process. Do you know who you said to me to go talk to? In fact, Ananias knew a great deal about the mission of Saul. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Apparently it was known. I would have been afraid too, probably. Probably would have been scared. My carnal? No. My spiritual, I don't think I should go. But that's the difference between the carnal and the spiritual. You know, you 
You got to trust the Lord for those things. And carnally, we don't always want to do what is what is right. God's response. He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name. God, God had a call upon the life of Saul. We see it at this time. God had not revealed the calling to Saul. He seems to have uh, revealed it to Ananias first. Because Ananias didn't want to go, but God told him, look, this is my vessel whom I choose to do this great work. Chosen vessel. Long before there appeared anything worthy in Saul to choose, God knew he would make what he would do with Saul. This I read and I study and I, and I look to see. I know that we've had past lives, or as people like to refer to as post-Christian lives. You know, I hear it a lot, you know, what you did before. But God known us from the womb. He has a calling on all of us. There's a purpose that he, that he has us here. There's a calling. And like Saul and Ananias, we have to say, we have to answer. The third part is going to be a submission to what that calling is, to what that direction is. For we will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. That was the addition to the great calling. Saul would leave a life of privilege to embrace a higher call, but a call with much suffering. Much suffering. Verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes the soothing like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. That Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Amen. Amen. Who was Paul, the persecutor of the church? The man that wanted to get that rid the cities of this Jesus teachings that he did not agree with, that he was not for, that he was from the law. He was a man that, that studied the word of God and knew it, knew the prophets, knew the first five by memory, because this was what was required of him. And so he wanted to stop this. He thought he was doing a great deal. But he didn't know what he was doing. How many people do we see that we know that, that know God but have yet to experience that, that Jesus change. Many of us have known God. I knew of God when I was down and out before I gave my heart to Christ. I knew who he was. I knew what the word of God said. I didn't know it as much as I do. A little more. I know it a little more now, but I didn't know it. I knew of it, but I didn't know what the power was. I didn't know what it was until I experienced the change of Christ. Here we see that it's crucial Many people can live by religion. Many people can live by whatever ways that they want to live. They can say, this is the way to heaven. This is the way to, to salvation or whatever you want to say. But this is a proven that there's only one. Why is it proven? Because he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was the Pharisees of Pharisees. He knew more of the word of God than any of the disciples, I would say. I would say he probably knew it better. And yet he, kicks, he kicked against the goat. But it wasn't until the change of the encounter with Christ but it was changed. It's softening and humbling to me when we see people and, and I say, hey, I want to invite you to church. I go to church and then their, their lifestyle is somewhat different or conflicting with that. 
I don't look at them anymore and say, I got to give you. The experience is lacking. They just haven't had that encounter. And you could have the encounter and still struggle with them. But the point is, is that with that encounter, with that change, as we strengthen in the word of God and seek in Christ, it gets stronger. It gets better. It gets easier. It gets more loving. We see people not as we see them carnally, but we see them spiritually. What is lacking is the spirit and the word of God and Christ that dwells inside them. Whom we have, whom we should share. As Ananias did. Ananias, the man that was humbling and answered, I don't want to. I think he might get me, but I'm going to go. God had purpose. He had purpose. He comforted Ananias and said, he's my vessel. An ordinary man that went and put his hands that the Holy Spirit fell on the man that's going to put the foundation of the New Testament together, inspired by our king, did a great, great service by just simply submitting. Simply submitting. We look at this and we say, could they have chose somebody better? Did it have to be Saul? I don't think so. Because God is perfect. Saul Saul was born in the ways of the Hebrews and around the Roman people, knew the Gentile or the Greek ways of life, was sent to... um, Oh my gosh. Was sent school for the Hebrews so he can be taught what he needed to be taught. So he had he had the understanding of everything that he had to reach. The children of God, the Gentiles, and the kings. Because he was elevated because of what he knew, where he was taught, an educated man. He could reach all three of these stages. If you call on me, I think God I can reach one. The Gentiles. The other two are in trouble. I can't do it. I'm not on that level. I haven't studied that way. I don't know these things. But we look at that even now and we say Ananias didn't have those things either. He wasn't a pastor, an evangelist, a teacher. He was just an ordinary man that God used through submission. But moving back to Paul, who is now Paul, he had a plan for him, a man that was going to reach everybody, that was going to be able to to touch the lives that was going to be able to support biblically, factually, through the word of God of what they knew to the Hebrews of whom Jesus was, because he knew it. All that was lacking was that touch of the heart, the opening and the softening of our hearts. We hear the prayer every Sunday that we say, Lord, soften our hearts, that we can hear from you, that we can be prepared, that we can be ready for this. Because God has a call on you, on you, on you. We have to answer it. We have to answer and be submissive to the way that, that the Lord is directing us. And it's not heavy burden. It's an honor and it's a privilege. Because why? God doesn't give us everything in one instance. He gives it to us in a part. He gives us to us what we need today, right now. Are we worried about tomorrow? Worry about tomorrow a little bit. i got to go to work. It's going to be like 90-something degrees. But I just have to love Christ right now. I have to love him today. Right now, in this moment, I love Christ and I serve him with all my heart. For the next storm that comes apart, that comes upon me will be the same reaction. I love my king and I love my God and I serve you and I trust you in all things as Ananias did. Because that was a storm to go to the destroyer, the ultimate persecutor. Now the ultimate persecutor, when we see people, we look at people and we think, I've had this thought many times, I don't think this person is ever going to go to heaven. I don't think they're ever going to receive Christ. 
As many times as they say, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to hear it. Change the radio station. Are you talking about that again? Or those more that say, I know God, I know God, I know God, I know God, but lack Christ in their life. It's saddening. But let me encourage you, if you know somebody that you don't think is going to make it to heaven, or if you think that there's somebody that knows God but hasn't had that Jesus encounter, this tells you that that's not true because God is calling. We just have to submit when we listen. The word of God does not return void because Paul did not want it. I don't know many people that are doing what Paul was doing, and yet he was saved. That should be encouraging to you. You should be happy about it and say, all I got to do is be Ananias to him for the ones that are lost. Pastor Chuck Smith, that I heard a teaching that he would say, you know, you always got to be a witness every day of your life. And if necessary, sometimes use words. I just live, love, and, and that's what we do. We're going to go ahead and st- wrap it up. We'll start closing with this. But the three points that we were looking at was the call Ananias had, Saul had. Both of them answered it. One answered it out of fear. He had no choice. He was going to do what he needed to do. God let him. God touched him a lot mightier than he did, than he did when he gave Ananias the vision. But we see people that are hitting rock bottom. We see people that are having trouble. We see people that are at the end of their, of their row and they don't know what to do anymore. At times, that's the saw. That they, unfortunately, that has to happen, but we got to love them through it anyways. We have to encourage them by telling them there's Christ. There's nothing that I can give you. I can't give you money, bread. Even if I did give you all these riches, you still don't have what's necessary. That void's still not filled. You still need Christ. Along with all those personal and material things that people see, you know, when your heart is touched and softened, you don't want those same things. They're different. I don't want a million dollars in the bank. I'd rather increase the kingdom by a million. The lives that we give to the Lord and how we serve our King is done by a witness that's of love and grace and the filling of the Spirit. And I know that it's true. Before I studied this word, I knew of Paul. I didn't know some of the details. The three-day details really sticks out. Because when I had a storm in my life, I thought carnally that I had the solution. And that I would take it. And it would be easy. And I would suffer whatever I had to suffer in this world. For the bettering of whom I thought I was going to better. But for three days, I was stuck at home. I couldn't leave because then I would take action onto this carnal sight that I was using that I thought would save this young person but it, it, it wasn't but he's saved today though I want to say that and in those three days as I sought the Lord I said God you know I don't want you to change them him anybody I just want you to touch me I want you to remove this from me and I give you my heart 100% I give it to you and I could hear my king say, come to me and I will help you. But not because I prayed to save someone else. I prayed to save me and surrender my life. That I believe that this young person's heart's been touched by the Lord and continue to be touched by him. 
It's a praise of an uh, effect that is that is proven over and over and over. If we submit, because there's a call, we have to answer it. Paul was the perfect person to choose to reach the kings, the children of Israel, to reach them all, the Gentiles. Where you're at, where you're at, where you're at, God has you, He will use you, He can use you. He can use you to reach the people that you think that you can't reach. We have to submit to our Lord, though. We have to seek Him. We have to crucify the flesh. We have to not live worldly or carnally. We have to live spiritually and seek Him regularly. It's a necessity in life. And it's an honor to increase the kingdom, to be used as that vessel. It's a blessing. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. For this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your direction that we have not that we have yet to see. We thank you for the plans of tomorrow, Lord. We thank you that you loved us enough, that, Lord, that we just have to love you now. Yesterday is gone, Father. As we say so many times, tomorrow is not promised, Father. But today we love you, Lord, and we thank you and we serve you. Guide us through what we do. Give us that peace, Father. I pray for your people. I pray for your children. I pray for your body, Lord. I pray for your church. That they continue to be blessed by you, Lord. That they continue to grow closer to you, Father, through your word. We love you. We thank you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.